Coming up this week on Sporting Journal Radio. Let's just do and say it right now. I don't think the next two years is going to be a good time to cheat from anything from an NWT down to a kid's bluegill derby in a, in a pond. They give you a lot of chances and usually some pretty good chances. This one just gets smashed. They are schooled up 30, 40, 50 in a school. I fish, I hunt, and always will. Broadcasting from the Prairie Sportsman Studios. Presented by OnX. Know where you stand with OnX. <clears throat> We're not just a radio show anymore. Heck yeah. This is Sporting Journal Radio. That's right. Welcome to the show. I'm Brett Amundsen. Thank you for watching this on YouTube. Maybe you're listening to this on one of our radio stations on the Sporting Journal Radio Network, or maybe you've downloaded the audio version. Thank you very much. This week, we'll give you a sneak peek of our Saskatchewan hunting and fishing video. I guess we did some fishing while we were out there, too. We'll give you a little tease of that. It's going to be coming to the Sporting Journal Radio YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe. Check it out. It's good. we got a lot of stuff on there. You can definitely go down the outdoor rabbit hole on the Sporting Journal Radio YouTube channel. Uh, we will also talk about some new winter regs for the for Red Lake, for Upper Red Lake. Um, we've got Joe Henry. We're going to talk about layout boat duck hunting up at the Northwest Angle. We'll give you a little look at what that's like and talk about how you can do it as well. Uh, we've got Cody Hill. He's a fishing guide in Ottertail Lakes country. We'll find out how fishing is right now up in Ottertail County. And we got Brad Durek talking about polygraphs. All right. So we, we've heard a lot about these guys that got busted cheating in the fishing tournaments, Lake Erie, and everybody's got their thoughts on it. Well, we wanted to talk to a tournament director about it and how he handles polygraphs and what his thoughts are on the whole situation. So Brad will dig into that and talk about catfishing on the Red River and what water levels have been like the last couple of years coming up in just a little bit. That's Dan Amundsen over there. Dan, how you doing? Hi. Who are the sponsors this week? We've got Haybell Heights Campground and Resort on Devil's Lake. Book a trip to Devil's Lake at haybellheights.com. Ottertail Lakes Country. Find your inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. Lake of the Woods Tourism. Lake of the Woods is the walleye capital. Plan an ice fishing trip at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. On X, know where you stand with On X. And Prairie Sportsman, watch episodes anytime at the Prairie Sportsman YouTube channel or check your TV guide for local air times. All right, Saskatchewan was a place we spent a lot of time at this year, Dan. Um, you hadn't been up there before. You got, you got six weeks, I think, or yes, so. Yes, I had. You had, oh yeah, we went to Tobin, that's right. Yeah, you liar. You hadn't, you hadn't been to Tazin before, so nope. you got your first trip to Tazin, then we went back to Tobin for a couple of weeks, did some fishing there, and then we chased waterfall around in Saskatchewan, and unfortunately, it was just starting to get good when we had to come back, but we had some pretty good shoots up there. Yeah, I'll just show one clip that sums it all up for me. That's so cool. That's the coolest thing in waterfall hunting. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah. Watch the rest later. It's coming on the Sporting Journal Radio YouTube channel uh, very soon showcasing some of our hunting and fishing adventures this year up in uh, Saskatchewan. Man, that that spin. That's what I wanted, Dan. We were up there hunting for like two weeks and we finally got a good spin by a big group of snows. And it's funny watching that now because I don't remember the flock being that big, but when you hear the noise of all those snows, that's what just, I mean, I, I start to shake a little bit when I hear that noise. I love that sound so much. Well, there's a reason why you were trying to plan a deer hunt and I wasn't going to go because I, I'm going snow goose hunting. Yeah, I I'd rather it. rather shoot snows a little white bird than deer. I'm weird. That is weird. I mean, I still like want to shoot a deer, but well, man, there's something about snow geese. I love them. They're my favorite, and I also hate them the most. But when they do it like that, nothing else. Nothing else. I mean, you can get big spins of mallards and lesser canadas too. But man, those snows get so squawky. And that was, uh, I think, a lot of adults. We shot. It was just the two of us. I think we shot five geese out of out of six shots or something like that. And I mean, it could have been a huge rainout if we had a bunch of guns, but uh, it, and they're all adults too, real nice birds. So getting a big group of adult snow geese to do it perfect like that, it just doesn't happen very often. Maybe maybe in Saskatchewan it happens more, but chasing them uh, down in the States, it gets real tough to get big spins like that. So when you get to see it, there's nothing like it. Watch for that video coming to the Sporting Journal Radio YouTube channel. Next week. Next week it'll be out, all right. 
Promise. Very cool. Uh, some other duck hunting footage coming up on the show later. We'll talk layout boat duck hunting up at the Northwest Angle with Joe Henry. That's something we filmed for Prairie Sports, and that will be coming out next season. Uh, check for it on a local PBS station near you or on YouTube. Uh, we'll we'll talk about it on here. We'll give you a, a place to go watch it, of course. Uh, some changes coming to Red Lake this winter, Dan. Yeah, Red Lake in the news once again. We're going back to the three fish limit for this winter. One fish over 17. We've had these regs two years ago. Uh, once again, keeps bouncing back and forth between three and four. And it's funny because, you know, we talk and we've talked about it this summer. Minfish proposed the four fish limit across the state. People got angry. Wow four walleyes isn't enough uh, i gotta feed my family and i'm gonna stop taking fishing trips this is gonna be bad for resorts people are gonna stop coming to minnesota well i call bs because guess what you can keep three walleyes it's been four max on red lake for years now it's three you think people are gonna stop going to red lake when the lake freezes absolutely not come that first freeze there's gonna be thousands of people driving up highway 71 to go catch their three walleyes they're gonna have a great time they're gonna go home and eat them so why in the world is that even an argument? The other argument you hear is that changing the limit from six to four down two isn't going to make a difference. Well, if that doesn't make a difference, why do we keep changing it from three to four? If two doesn't make a difference, why is one going to make a difference? It fires me up because it's something I really care about. I, I really want to see that change. And proof is in the pudding right here. If, if and Granted, every lake's different. I get that. But there you can you can squash all those arguments of why it should be a four fish limit or a six fish limit instead of a four fish limit right here because people are going to go catch a bunch of nice fish with a three fish limit and they're going to yeah. have a great time doing it well and i i agree with you i i'd have no problem with a four fish walleye limit across the state of minnesota but i will say i think one of the reasons red lakes get red lake gets all the the action is because i feel like that's an early ice destination for a lot of people uh, I don't know if it just builds ice earlier or what the story it does. Is. It's a shallow lake, so it freezes earlier, but and the fishing is really, really good. Yeah. but So they're going to go there, I think, but you're right. It's not really going to deter people from going there. It, it, there might be a few people that are taking trips from somewhere. I will say resorts like Lake of the Woods, changing, uh, lowering the limits there, that might deter some people that are going on a, on a fishing trip to fill coolers and bring fish home. If you got a different limit than, you know, say in North Dakota than you do in Minnesota, but, but overall fishing can be so good. And really it comes down to protecting the fishery and the resource that lowering limits. I think it. I think that generation of people that are just going to bring home, you know, as many fish as they can. I think that I think that's aging out a little bit. I think a lot of perceptions are changing. I hope so. A lot of younger people are more into catch and release and, and protecting the fishery for the future and sustainability, which is, uh, it's just, it's important. And it's just a, a lot of those guys didn't know, you know, they, it's just the way you did things back then. And uh, times are just changing. We know more, we've got more research and data about how fisheries are and it's important to protect them. If you want to keep catching fish, you know, it's funny. We, we talk to people all the time who fish all the time and rarely eat it and they don't care if they catch a walleye they don't care if it's a drum they don't care what what species it is if it's fighting back they want to catch it and that's what they're out out there for and i'm both like i like to fight them but i like to eat them so i like to keep a couple of fish too but dan we rarely keep limits no it seems like nowadays. no we don't we don't need to and and we catch enough fish we're lucky enough i get the i get the argument of you go on one trip a year you want to have fish for a few meals i get that yeah for sure and i'll probably catch flack for this just like i caught flack for my early teal season takes um but that's okay i don't care it's you know it's uh that's my opinion i'm entitled to my opinion you're entitled to yours too but yours is wrong if you think you should have a six fish limit <laughs> Well, uh, let I'm us kidding. know if you're watching this, let us know in the comments how you feel about the change in Red Lake or if you'd like to see a lower walleye limit overall in the state of Minnesota. And subscribe to our YouTube channel or thank you for tuning in on this station right here. Coming up, Brad Durek is going to talk polygraphs and what he thinks about using polygraphs in fishing tournaments. Also, Joe Henry and uh, Dan and I will discuss a recent trip to the Northwest Angle with layout boats chasing buffle heads around those speedy little butterballs. And then we've also got Cody Hill from Chill Guide Service will give us a fishing report from Ottertail Lakes Country all coming up. Ice fishing season is here. This winter, plan a trip to Devil's Lake, North Dakota. Not only will you have the chance to catch their legendary perch, but this year, Hay Bale Heights has been catching big walleye after big walleye. And they're doing it from a mobile, comfortable snow bear. No matter how cold it is outside, you're warm and toasty on the inside. 
Learn more and book a trip today at haybaleheights.com. That's haybaleheights.com. This is Sporting Journal Radio. Thanks for tuning in on the network or by downloading the podcast wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Maybe you're watching this on YouTube. Thank you for uh, for tuning in, however you're doing it. We're going to go up to uh, the Red River Valley right now and talk to Brad Durek from Brad Durek Outdoors. Brad, how are you doing? I'm doing awesome. Well, I want to talk fishing, obviously, and we'll talk catfish. We'll talk Red River. We'll talk polygraphs because that's something that uh, you have a lot of experience in. So I want to get your thoughts. Obviously, the, uh, the the cheating scandal has been talked about quite a bit. So I want to get your thoughts about it as a tournament director and someone who who uses polygraphs on a regular basis. We'll get your, your, uh, your thoughts and ideas about polygraphs and how they uh, – how they work with uh, fishing tournaments right now. Plus, we're, we want to talk about deer because uh, you just took part in uh, the youth season, right? Minnesota youth season. Yep, we just did that this past weekend. How'd it go? Good. It was uh, it was a lot of work. We were pretty much down to the wire there Saturday night, and it was our fifth sit of the youth season, and finally that one adult deer came out. All right, so you got, you got an adult deer that came out, and uh, but it was a, it was a bit of a poke, wasn't it? Oh yeah, my kid. Uh, it ended up being about 250 yard shot for a 12 year old, which I thought it was too far to take, but he insisted that he'd practiced enough and he could get it. So I said, okay, take it. And, you know, we tracked it exactly zero yards. So it must've worked out. Okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> 12, is that his first deer then? That's his second deer. He second. got one last year as well during the youth season. That's pretty cool. So I, oh, he's, this is all uh, old. He's experienced at this now veteran veteran yeah deer and you know we go out and we shoot a few times a year there's a gentleman up here that's retired that has a shooting range and a real good teacher and i'm not a huge hunter so the last two summers we spent time with this gentleman and he's really got him got him into shape on his shooting that's awesome what do you think about the the expanded youth deer season that minnesota has now uh, I guess I, I expanded. I just think the program's so nice. I mean, mm. I'm a North Dakotan. The fact that they open that up to the young kids, even the out-of-staters, to provide that experience is just phenomenal. Um, you know, over here they can get those youth doe tags and then that statewide one when they're 14. But once that first youth tag at 14 is done, then you're in the drawing with everybody else. And you may or may not get a tag after that. So the Minnesota youth one, besides being affordable, offers a good opportunity every year just to keep them coming back for the experience. So North Dakota basically just has a tag to get kids involved so they can get a, a doe tag. Because doe tags are kind of tough to get over there, right? They are right now, I guess. I've been kind of out of the North Dakota loop for a few years. But hmm. it sounds like 12 and 13-year-olds can get their doe tags and then when they're 14, they get that automatic one-time youth tag that's statewide any deer. Okay. Oh, but any from deer, there, so. they're put in the lottery with everybody else. And the way it is, like for a buck tag now, it could be six or seven years before you get another one. Oh, yeah. Okay. You know, that takes a, yeah. that, that puts them in their 20s already, possibly. Yeah. Where this, I mean, yes, we shot an adult doe this year, and that's great. And I'm happy for the experience. But it's just awesome knowing that we can go back for that youth hunt again next year to keep the fire burning. So he, you, you asked him if the shot was too long and he said, nah, I got this dad. And he, I didn't ask. I told him the shot was too long, <laughs> <laughs> but he was going to do it anyway. Uh, was he, was he calm and collected or how did he, how did he celebrate the shot? How did he, how did he do? That kid is so laid back when he shoots. It's just crazy. He just eased into it and took his time. And I was watching in the binoculars and boom, and it dropped. And that was the end of it. Which is cool, but I think the best part of the story is how he did the work himself afterwards and has got some plans for this deer too, right? Oh, yeah. He's uh, being mentored by one of the best taxidermists in the region. Uh, they got to be friends. You see that top perch behind me? That's what started it all. Um, he caught that perch in Devil's Lake a couple of years ago, and ever since him and this taxidermist got to be friends and uh, they were talking at tournaments and whatever, and he offered him a chance to come and learn how to do some of it. And so this deer is going to be a head mount, I guess. That's awesome. And well, scunned himself, and then he's going to mount the deer himself, or at yep. least be part of the process. That's, that's oh, awesome. he'll do the majority of it. It'll be maybe show him one thing and 
turn him loose from there. 12 years old. That's awesome, man. Uh, pretty cool to do that. And obviously, I bet he's done a lot of fishing then in his life. Oh, yeah. The kids caught more fish than most adults, I think. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> I quit counting after he got his 20th 20-pound catfish. Jeez. And I know he hasn't got a 20 in three years, so it's oh. been uh, – he had a good run in his youth. That Red River is an interesting um, – Interesting river system, obviously flowing north, known for known for channel cats. Uh, and the further north you go, the bigger they get up there. Obviously, the river gets a little bit wider. How how water levels been this year? What was that last year when it got real real dry? Last real year low? was real low to the point where we had to shut down the guide service a month early. Oh wow! And this year we were a month late getting started because it was flooding so bad from all the spring rains and an unfortunate blizzard in April. But uh, water levels this year, I couldn't ask for any better. Once we got in, it was just phenomenal. No issues. The fish were moving good. Uh, if you could have water levels like this every year, my life would be a lot easier. <laughs> I think we saw some of the aftermath of some of that flooding when we drove up to Saskatchewan in June and drove up uh, I-29 there. I think we could see some of the areas where it was still, you could tell that there had been water. In that There's area. still piles of debris along I-29 where they pushed it up and haven't hauled it out yet. Yeah. So we came back from Minnesota opener at Lake of the Woods because obviously we didn't have anything else to do that weekend. And uh, we were looking at carp on the edge of the interstate. <laughs> my gosh so it was a good one yeah it was a dandy flood so what i you know when i when i lived in fargo you would hear about red i was there from uh 2000 to 2012 or so so i was there for a couple of the major floods and you'd you'd hear about you know we deal obviously mostly with fargo and grand forks obviously went through what they went through in 96 97 there and and the rebuilding I was here for that one too hoofta but uh, we always heard about what the border was like and how water would kind of get stopped up at the border up there. What, what's happened? I've been so far removed from it, but what's it like up there when you get north of Drayton, when you get up close to the border there? Is there has anything changed about that water? Is it just kind of get stopped up at the border and, and from what up I understand? Or? No. And I just hear little rumblings of it. But, I mean, there's a lot of things at play here. I mean, you need to schedule another show <laughs> if we want to talk about that. Sure. Um, you know, just look at all the draining that's happened since those floods. It's just going to get worse and worse over the time. And, you know, maybe that deal at the border is something else. I guess I'm not sure the situation of that. But, I mean, there's just a lot of things in play right now and one of them's just flat out draining hmm. everything's rushing to that river making it worse and worse yeah and an example is you know 15 years ago if fargo got three or four inches of rain it would take about a week to get us to flood situation and it'd take us about a week to get down now three days hmm. um it's nothing to see a five to ten foot swing overnight well you but, spent you know i'm the one voice of opposition basically because i'm the only one that's out there dealing with it every day yeah i would say you spend probably more time in that river than most people is that how does that rate as a catfish fishery uh it's got uh, especially when you get up further north up there it's got to be one of the better ones anywhere as far as channel cats go it's probably the finest channel cat fishery on the planet i mean there's other ones but the amount of big fish we catch uh on an average outing is there's no other place like it for channel cats. Hmm. Uh, like on, you're talking about all these 20 pound channel cats. What's your, like, what's your measure for a, a trophy up there? What's your, well, the state definition is 12 pounds or about 30 inches. Uh, being a guide. I mean, I, I see so many people that get a 30 incher and they about, you know, wet their <laughs> pants. They're so excited. So I have to be excited with them. But for me personally, it's got to be 16 plus to really count. A 30 inch channel cat's a big fish. Like that's a nice fish. Um, it, it is. And I mean, I, I'm the first to admit I'm spoiled. I mean, if I don't break 15 a couple times a day, I'm upset that it was a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> what's your, what's your biggest one out of there that you've seen anyway? Seen or I've caught? seen a couple thirties on the Canadian side. Wow. Uh, you just flashed up the big one of the season, that 27 pounder, that one, Oof. that's 27 pounds. 
uh, we caught it. We were still in Grand Forks, or if we weren't in Grand Forks, we were darn close to the city. Really? And uh, I had to look it up, but the last time I boated a 27 was 2017. So that's a five-year fish right there. Hmm. Wow. And so you're out there guiding, you're you're fishing for these, and then you're also running you're running the cat, uh, Catfish League up there and some tournaments? I help with the Catfish League here in town. I also run the Shields Boundary Battle Catfish Tournament. That's my invention. Uh, we started that in 2015. And then five or six years ago, I took over the Drayton Rod and Reel Rally, which is now the Catfish Capital Challenge. Uh, and I do that one for the Drayton Chamber of Commerce. So that's the, the there are two totally different tournaments of the big ones. The Boundary Battle is lots of different categories. So there's lots of opportunity to win money. The uniqueness of it is if you blank on day one, there's $2,000 in new money on day two that mm. you can compete for. Whereas the Drayton tournament, uh, they run a series of fundraisers throughout the year and they guarantee $10,000 for first place. Oh, wow. Jeez. Okay. So we're talking about some, some pretty good money. Uh, how many years have you been running tournaments then? Uh, 2015 was when I started the boundary battle and, Drayton came later, I think it was 16 or 17 when I started helping with the league. And you run polygraphs with every winner? Uh, yes and no. Uh, the Shields Boundary Battle and the Drayton Tournament, we do run polygraphs. We run them differently. Obviously, with $10,000, the win one of the winning members goes through. With the Boundary Battle, what we do is if you're in the top five or a day winner, because that's cash winnings we actually do a random draw out of those places for who goes hmm. okay and did you did you decide from the beginning that there's gonna there's a chance for a polygraph no matter what like this is gonna this is gonna be a part of what we do here yes when i was talking to the folks who helped me design the format for the boundary battle um due to a situation that happened at another tournament that i witnessed uh polygraph was going to be a requirement and that that was a selling point to actually the tournament and it cost me entrance the first couple of years but now we are the tournaments to be in because of it do you, you had some people that wouldn't do it because there was a chance of a polygraph absolutely and i really? still hear that all the time um and let's be realistic if you own a business and you win and you get called to the table on that and fail your life is on the line oh yeah that's true and of course we have people who are fearful that if i fail this and i didn't cheat my life is on the line i never and thought we about go it to like great that. lengths to make sure that doesn't happen so who how do you find someone that could administer a polygraph test is it can you just look it up google Polygraph? I got pretty lucky i hit a google uh don't mind me i'm swatting a cat away all right <laughs> <laughs> Um, I got pretty lucky. I hit the old Google and, uh, true North polygraph came up, which is located right here in town. Oh, perfect. And he's a, uh, experienced, licensed, educated, certified examiner. So I got really lucky and he was really gracious to sit down with me and explain the whole process a year, year and a half before we even decided to do this. Hmm. Are they expensive to use? Uh, to get a certified examiner is not cheap. Uh, it's $500 hmm. to have one examination. And that's, so somebody wins, say, all right, you're going to have to do a polygraph. And then you call up your examiner. And then how, how quickly does it happen after the tournament? Uh, the way we have it, we have him on hand. He is set up and ready to go. Oh, right so there. So the second we know who's, well, back in the early years, because a lot of people didn't think I would actually follow through on it, we would have the award ceremony that would end with congratulations. You'll get your check as soon as you get through your polygraph test. You just won. Hmm. And then he'd be standing at the edge of the stage. Now we call them on their cell phone or find them in the crowd and send them to the test. And then we just say, hey, everybody hang out for 45 minutes to an hour. We're taking care of this. We'll be right back with you. And then we have the big pomp and circumstance. Okay. And how long, like, how long does that take? And when it comes to, like last year, these guys that got caught cheating, which I guess they pled by the time when we recorded this, the day we recorded this, they pled not guilty in court, which I was kind of surprised about. Uh, 
you know, did they like they passed one but didn't pass the other one? How does that happen? Well, that's uh, hard to tell. I mean, it could be different types of examination. I'm still kind of learning this on my own, but uh, there's uh, I got a note here. I found out that some of them use computerized voice stress analysis, it's called. Hmm. And apparently that's frowned upon by the certified polygraph community. Oh, okay. Because, you know, that's starting to play into nerves and, and probably faulty equipment. I don't know much about it. I'm just kind of learning about that. But, you know, it's it's hard to say. And nobody really knows if they did pass, you know, what questions were asked in one versus the other, because polygraphing is pretty literal. Have you ever had anybody fail one? We never have. And, you know, our guys are so good because we're no call. Everybody's so used to it now that they kind of watch each other. Hmm. And because we're no call, they're in early. If they're, you know, if they're on fish early, they're done early. They're limited out and in because we don't allow sorting and culling. Okay. So I usually know who's going in hours before it actually happens. I mean, how, I don't like just thinking about what those guys did to shove weights down those fish. I, I just, they, uh, the fish must've looked, I, I feel like they would have stretched that fish out or something, shoving all that stuff in there. Right. Like, like just destroyed it. I can't imagine a fish would take a giant weight down the throat very easily. I guess I've never tried. Yeah. <laughs> Neither. But, I mean, I, I'm not a walleye tournament person at all, but I was watching the video going, how in the earth is a 24 and 25 inch walleye coming in with an average of eight pounds? Yeah. That should be five or six pounds. And that's a no brainer. And, you know, I stand by these scales at the tournaments. I have weight crews now that help me out. So I'm usually just a bystander and I'm usually calling the weights before they're hitting the scale because I see so many of them, I'm usually pretty close. So I got to believe if somebody was stuffing weights, I could pick it out pretty quick. Yeah. Did but you ever one ha- interesting thing is the cutting of it open. I mean, that takes, that's a really big step. And that door is now open. You think you'll see that happen more now? It might. Let's just do the, say it right now. I don't think the next two years is going to be a good time to cheat from anything <laughs> from an NWT down to a, kids bluegill derby in a in a pond because everybody's <laughs> watching everybody yeah yeah i just like my i mean i i'm not a fan of cheaters anyway like that but how i don't understand especially if they got away with three hundred thousand dollars worth of stuff last year i just don't know why they would even try it again like I, it just boggles my mind the thought process they had going into this tournament like yeah yeah we can do it again let's shove six pounds of weight in this fish yeah. Well, you know, it was brought to my attention years ago that if someone were to fail this test and be caught cheating, I'm the least of their problems as a tournament mm. director. Yeah. They have to deal with everybody else. Now look at this situation. I mean, I'd be thinking long and hard about if I did it, uh, quitting my job and selling my house. <laughs> Moving. Because, yeah. because, I mean, and, and it went so viral. Where are you going to go? Yeah. They have to go a long ways away. We'll see what I'm curious to see what happens to them in uh, in court here, especially pleading not guilty like that. Have you have you ever had somebody that you maybe suspected, and then they passed a polygraph? We had a situation once where it was brought up, and I use a thing we call it the uh, now it's slipping my mind. Uh, it's like a conditional polygraph where. If you have a grievance and you're so sure of it that you can demand a polygraph, if you saw something and you're sure of it, and how that works is you put $300 cash down, we'll call the examiner and we'll put them in. If they are found guilty, we give you your money back, the tournament will pick up the tab. Hmm. But if they aren't, you pay for the test. And in all the years I've been around it, it's come up one time. I can't say whether it was cheating or not. I I truly cannot say one way or the other. But the people who were doing the accusing were pretty sure. And it came down to they knew that they didn't have anything to gain by pursuing it. Hmm. 
what were they, how were they cheating or how were they? Uh, it was a suspected upgrade in a call. In other words, they called out a smaller fish for a bigger fish. Okay. All and right. they say they witnessed the, this, the changeover. And I mean, I remember the fish coming in, you know, right at the buzzer and it ended up being the, the big fish of the day. Hmm. Or no, it wasn't the big fish of the day. It ended up winning them the day, which is a thousand dollar check. Oh, it's worth it then. And the, the part that made it fishy was that team didn't show up on day two. Oh, really? <laughs> oh boy. Now, there's oh. other things to the story that I'm not going to repeat, but so I can't say whether it was a dysfunctional situation within the team hmm. or actually there's no way we can show up and, and, and win this thing and chance a polygraph. Do you have any changes planned on how you'll run tournaments moving forward after what happened this year? I don't. And the reason I don't is because I feel we've got a pretty good handle on things. Um, I believe we're probably going to be ans asking another question on the test. Um, I have to discuss that further with our examiner and see how he feels about it. But... Um, so you, I guarantee you, fishermen oh. are watching each other a little bit closer now. Yeah. Do you come up with a list of questions then or some of the questions? Uh, I had the, the rules that I absolutely needed to be watching. And then through the examiner, we devised a list of questions. And the questions in mine are, the specific questions are, did you fish within the tournament boundaries, the tournament hours? Did you modify a fish in any way? Hence, stuffing weights or clipping tails. And the, the big, big, big one for us is, did you sort or cull a fish? Hmm. And those are our four questions. And we're very open about those questions. Oh, really? Like, you, it's not even a secret then. Obviously, you just oh, put no. it on the show. But I, oh, no. I, uh, mean, I was wondering if you were going to... Yeah, we had the examiner at the rules meeting telling him what the questions are. Oh, no kidding. Hmm. That's playing mind games with him, of course, because now they've heard his voice telling him what he's going to ask. But... Uh, you know, that's another deterrent in itself. See, and all that, we're trying to do here is provide a level playing field for everyone. I just like, I just, I would want to win fair and square anyway, but I just wouldn't even want to have to deal with that. Like people that cheat or steal or whatever, like, or lie about stuff. Like it just seems like, too, it seems like too much work. Right. <laughs> Go through all I, that. I agree. You know, the cool oh, part man. is we've done this a long time. We've used the same examiner the whole time. And the fishermen have actually gotten to know him. I mean, I've seen him come up to him on Fridays or Thursdays or whenever the meetings are, shake his hand. How are you? How's the wife? Gosh, I hope I get to talk to you on Sunday. Oh, yeah. That means they won. <laughs> I mean, and we had another tournament where it was a one of those random draw deals, and we knew who won it by 11 o'clock in the morning. Hmm. And I had gotten the text that the gear was set up and ready to go, and there's still an hour of tournament left. And he, the winner, he just goes... Why don't I just run up the hill and get this over with and save everybody a bunch of time? Hmm, perfect. Chances are you're not cheating when you're volunteering that quickly to go do it. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Well, and I'm guessing most of the people that fish your tournament are probably good old uh, Minnesota, North Dakotans, or, you know, locals or uh, from the region. Or do you get people that travel quite a ways to come out and fish? We get quite a group. I'd say 30, somewhere between 25 and 30% of the boundary battle is Iowa, Nebraska, or outside of the local community. Okay, nice. And the Catfish League folks have done so much of this together now over the years that they're one big family. Not only are they competing against each other and watching each other, but they're cheering each other on too. So it's a, it's a really fun thing to have witnessed come together and be part of as far as, you know, being part of the family. And uh, the guy in the red is one of the heavy hitters. He's done at least two polygraphs in his life. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Who's that? Um, uh, Zach Cernsky. He's won the Cats Incredible Tournament in town twice. He's won my Shields Boundary Battle twice. And he's won the Drayton Tournament before it was the $10,000 once. Hmm. So he spent some time on that river. Yep. His his Uncle Darwin is is one of the real heavy hitters up here, too. So he comes from from a pretty good family. <laughs> All right. Well, um, good luck. When are, when are these tournaments and do you, can people still, are they full? Can people get in them? Shields boundary battles the last weekend of June. It's Friday, Saturday this year. And that one is full, but we're taking waiting lists. 
the Catfish Capital Challenge in Drayton is the 11th and 12th, I think, of August. We have not yet put entry, opened up entries for that yet, but that's limited to 60 boats. Okay. All right. Where do we And where do we find more info about them? Boundarybattle.com, catfishdrayton.com. If you follow me on Facebook at Brad Durick Outdoors, I post everything through the guide service pretty good, too, of all my events and things I run. If you're in the Grand Forks area, can make Wednesday Night League. I mean, we're always happy to have more teams for Wednesday Night League. Are you done guiding for the season? Do you just do yeah, wrapped up? Let's see, wrapped up about three weeks ago. Okay. Once that water temp starts getting into the fifties, it's it's time to start wrapping it up. Mm, sure. Uh, and then uh, when do you start back up again? In the spring, when the flooding's over, if we get flooding, and usually about the time the water temp hits fifty-one or fifty-two, I'll start really hitting it hard. So generally, shoot for about May fifteenth. Okay. Very good. All right. Uh, Brad Durick, Brad Durick Outdoors. Uh, Good luck in the tournaments and thanks for the time today on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Come ice fish the famous waters of Minnesota's Lake of the Woods, the walleye capital of the world. Experience full service resorts featuring heated fish houses, ice transportation, meal plans, and sleeper house options. From the Northwest Angle to the South Shore, Rainy River, and Baudette, the Midwest's number one ice fishing destination. Walleye, Sauger, Perch, and Northern Pike, Minnesota's Lake of the Woods, best fishing anywhere. For more information, log on to lakeofthewoodsmn.com. Hi, this is Sporting Journal Radio. I'm Brett Amundsen. Uh, thanks for tuning in on the network or by watching this on YouTube or downloading the podcast wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Going to check in with Joe Henry now from Lake of the Woods Tourism. Joe, how's it going? Well, Brett's going good, but maybe, uh, maybe I should be checking in with you and Danny. You just got back from a cast some blasts up at the northwest angle joe it was a fun trip you know i'd never driven up to the angle before i've only been up there a couple of other times i think i think it's funny that the first time i went to the angle was by snowmobile i wonder how yeah. many people can say that the second time i did it i drove across the ice to get up to the angle and then this time i uh, i drove around through canada getting through uh, customs was real simple it was a real easy process to get up there so it was nice to see it firsthand so when we talk about it all the time here on the show i can say yeah this is this is how it works i wanted to, i wanted to experience that and it was nice to be able to drive up i had my dogs we had our shotguns cuz we were going to go up there and duck hunt and the whole process was was pretty simple and uh dan that was your first trip to the angle uh what did you think well, it's really pretty, you know, you, the, the South, I've only been to the South shore and the rainy river, which is also very pretty, but you get up in the islands and you see the, the rock, the Canadian shield and the water. It, it's gorgeous. It's like, you're up in the, a little bit of paradise there. Isn't it, isn't it cool, Danny, how, uh, you, you know, you can see where the Canadian shield kind of begins. So as you start driving up there, all of a sudden the rocks start to begin. And that's also why all those islands begin there. But I'll tell you, they all say when you go to the angle, and I don't know if you experience this, but when you get up there, especially staying at one of the resorts up there, in this case, in the Island Resort, man, it just feels different. It's hard to believe it's the, the same lake that you see on the South Shore. It, it just does. It feels like a whole new world, but it's got the same same good fishing. That's why, and that's why, you know, a lot of people, they'll, they'll do both. I mean, they'll, they'll do some of the stuff on the South End, but then they always try to make a trip up to the Northwest Angle. And you can see people go to the Angle, they oftentimes go back. Yeah. It's yeah. a cool place. Well, yeah, when they want us to come back next year and, and do the uh, layout boat hunting thing again and bring the cameras along. And it didn't take us long to say, yes, we will come back uh, yeah. because it was a blast. You know, we duck on a lot, goose hunt a lot, uh, traveled around to do it, but had never done it out of layout boats like that before. And uh, it is pretty wild. You sit about eight inches above the water. These boats, I think that that boat weighs about 130 pounds and it's just low, flat and kind of oval shaped. So it rides actually really nice and stable in the water. Andy Reeves, one of the guides, he demonstrated, not to us, but to some other clients who were nervous about getting in one of those layouts, especially when it's a little windy. He goes, watch this. He pulls the plug out of the boat. He's in shallow water, uh, but he pulls, he goes into the boat, stands up, pulls the plug out and does jumping jacks in it and couldn't sink the boat. There's so much wow. uh, foam uh, in there, uh, uh, you know, the buoyant material that it won't sink. The boat will fill up with X number of inches of water and then it just kind of stops and floats there. So they're, they're real safe. And I, we did get a little bit of water in the boats, but not as much. Like I was nervous about the cameras. I was real nervous because Dan and I both had pretty expensive cameras in those little layout boats with us. And I was like, we're going to 
I'm going to break a camera. We're going to, we're going to get water. One's going to get dumped in the lake or we're going to get a big wave to come over. And, uh, we, we, we devised a system because our Pelican cases wouldn't, wouldn't really fit in there. So, uh, Jesse at the lodge there gave us some real wide, short Tupperware containers and then we took a garbage bag. So we put all our stuff that couldn't get wet and put them in that Tupperware and then covered them up with a garbage bag. And I had water get on top of that bag, but they didn't touch the camera. So it all worked out. We got some really cool footage, had uh, just a smasher of a duck hunt. Uh, almost all buffalo heads up there, Joe. And if you know anything about buffalo heads, they're generally fairly easy to decoy when it comes to waterfowl. So it's a, it's a perfect duck to have in a situation like this because they, they give you a lot of chances and usually some pretty good chances. This one just gets smashed. That was a good one right there. But they're tiny. I think they're, they're the smallest diving duck in North America. And I think they're overall, I think they're like the second smallest duck overall in North America. So they're tiny and they're fast. I asked Forrest, Forrest Hughes said our other guide, uh, because we would see them, they would just be rafted up. So when we when we were heading in and his lund, he had her kind of wide open and the buffalo heads were, we couldn't catch up to him. They were flying along the lake and he was wide open in his boat pretty much. And he's like, yeah, I, I can't catch them. So they're fast, wow. they're tiny, but they are, uh, they're a lot of fun and there's a lot of missing. And the other thing you have to take into account when you're in those layout boats is you got a little bit of wave action. And uh, so you pop up, and I watched some footage. There's definitely a couple of waves that I smashed in front of the ducks as we, you know, as my aim changed as we were bobbing up and down. So it's a bit of a humbling experience at times, but we uh, we we definitely shot a pile of ducks up there. There's a lot of fun. Well, no, so, Brett, let me ask you. You know, so you know, I I, I haven't done a layout boat hunting yet. I got to admit, but I duck hunt. What was it? What you thought it would be? Was it different? Would you do it again? I mean, what what was it like? Yeah, I would do it again. It was. I mean, I've hunted out of boats and I've hunted out of layout blinds. So, if, I mean, if you if you took kind of those two things and put them together, it, it's kind of what I expected. Um, but I had a ton of fun, and I would I would do it again. You know, I'm not a big diver hunter. I prefer I prefer dry fields most of the time if I can hunt ducks. You know, I don't like getting in the water. I don't like hunting out of boats anymore. Um, but I would do something like this because the the difference with this is open water duck hunting. So we're out in the middle. I mean, we weren't too far from shore. And I think the first day it was what, seven or eight feet, six feet deep. Yeah. That we were, that we were hunting in. And then the second day was 16 or 17. Mm -hmm. Perfect walleye point. <laughs> Dan yeah. wanted to fish both, out of the layout both boats. Here, both the spots you're hunting are good walleye spots. I'm just telling you. I, I forgot my rod while we were out in the layout boat. I wanted to try to catch one, catch one out of the decoys. <laughs> He's gonna you would have. I know. <laughs> he brought an ice rod and he was going to fish while he was while we were hunting out of these layout boats. And then we left it in the car at Young's Bay. Totally forgot to bring it. Uh, earth, but next time. Uh, we would do it again. And it was more fun than, I think it was more fun than what I was expecting. I mean, I was expecting to have a good time doing it because it's it's something new, something different, and definitely a challenge. There's only a, 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 like four places you can do it in the state of Minnesota. So to, to be able to do it with the uniqueness of the Northwest angle is your backdrop is something everybody should experience. Yeah, that's pretty special. Well, and you know, the thing is, I mean, I, I guess a lot, a lot of people hunt in Minnesota, who would this be a hunt for? Would it be for avid duck hunters? Would it be for, I mean, who would enjoy this hunt? I think anyone that loves to duck hunt, we were talking to, uh, to Andy and Forrest about it and they, they said they, they have brand new duck hunters that come out and do it. They have young, younger people. They have older people. They've had all kinds and they all enjoy it. You know, you, you are laying down. So if you're a little bit older and you don't like layout blinds, this may not be necessarily for you, but it's not bad. Dan, you know, you, your legs kind of tuck in under a kind of a narrow opening. So it's not, that part's not the most comfortable, but otherwise I was perfectly comfortable laying in that thing for a few hours. The hardest part was figuring out if you had to go to the bathroom and what to do at that point. Yeah, pee before you get in the bathroom. <laughs> I made it through, you know, we, we laid in waders. Uh, we stayed warm. We actually had some pretty nice warm weather uh, coinciding with our trip up there. It worked out pretty well for us. So we were comfortable. And then what those guys do is they have a pontoon that one side is just the deck. So they took the wall of the pontoon the railing, they took that down on one side, 
and then they have uh, a series of garbage cans that they end up using as storage for their decoys. So they have the, the garbage cans kind of pushed up to one side and then he's got Forrest driving the boat and then Andy as your tender along with Andy's dog Grouse who was with us out there. And then when you'd shoot ducks, they'd come ripping up in that pontoon. They'd send their dog or they'd have a fishing net to, uh, to pick that duck up. And then if you had any questions, if you had any problems, they were right there to, to help you out if you needed to get out or, or whatever. So then they'd zip back and just sit behind us and watch. And then another, another buffalo head would come in, usually right well, away. When, when you, when you, so let me ask this. When you went from the resort to the spot at Odark 30 in the morning, they, they were pulling the boats empty. And then I assume you were on the pontoon and then you got in the boats afterwards. Is that it? So the first day we all went out on the pontoon because we weren't going very far. So we all just, uh, it was just Dan and I hunting and then Forrest and Andy and his dog. And we just all rode out on the pontoon and uh, they got a pretty sweet system of setting up diver lines and then they run anchors. For us, they ran anchors on the front and the back of those layout boats. So we could sit just a little cockeyed so we weren't filming directly into the sun. That was definitely- You, were, uh, you, were, you, you got from the pontoon- into the into the layout boat then is that right yeah yeah it was real simple they're real stable so we just climbed right down off the pontoon into the boats and then when we were done we climbed back up and they'd they'd lift the boats actually right up onto the pontoon to transfer them back and forth and then the second day we traveled a little bit further so what we did is andy headed down with a couple of the a couple of their dock hands there at the resort and they headed out in front of us and then dan and i jumped in forests uh lund and i got a pretty nice smooth comfortable ride out to the spread in the morning but they just at flag island there they just got this new uh uh what do they call it landing craft landing craft landing carrier yeah so it's got a big fold down deal on the front and then a heated cabin that you ride in so if you're going out on a on a colder morning they'll actually take you out in this heated cabin out to the spread the guys will go out set the spread and then you'll ride out in a nice heated cabin and then hop in the boats there and have your hunt and then get a ride back so okay so uh, so okay so you you whack the heck out of the ducks shot a bunch of buffs you got a couple bluebills yeah somebody saw a sea duck i think but you get a shot at it what'd you do after the duck hunt we we went fishing. Yeah. <laughs> we went fishing, Joe. Blast, baby. Yeah, and you know, Forrest obviously spent uh, I think is pretty much his whole life up there at the angle. So he's got he's got the spots dialed in, and he put us on fish, you know, immediately. And uh, we caught some eaters that we ate that night. Um, we it wasn't the fishing was a little slow, but when we asked him how, how fishing is, he goes, "Oh, it's about average." I'm like, "Well, what's average?" I ah, only I think we caught 40 walleyes. <laughs> oh, wow. oh, that's average. Okay. So it's all, it's all, it's all a matter of perspective, isn't it? When you go up there, I mean, you know, and I don't really like saying this, but you know, at hundred fish days, uh, it can't yeah. happen a lot. Well, and we only had a couple of hours. I'm sure if we would have put in a full day or, uh, you know, had more ambition to, to catch a bunch of fish, I'm sure we would have done fine. I mean, we caught eaters, which is what we wanted. Uh, nothing big. We hit a couple of spots, a couple community spots that are pretty notorious for putting out some fish. Uh, I did set the hook on something that felt a little weighty and he bit me off immediately. And then about uh, 60 seconds later, Andy caught a muskie on his walleye gear about a 40 incher so we put a we put a you know a muskie in the boat we caught some walleyes and uh saw some deer along the shorelines as we were coming back and cool. uh, came back and had a cold beverage and and ate some fish and then got up and got up and did it again the next day right down your alley yeah yeah it was yeah. it was it was great and i mean uh, it's a pretty neat uh place where you can do those two things like that and do them with with quite a bit of success relatively easy well, you it's think about it, you us. know, you, you do that unique layout boat hunting, which I think is so cool. But, you know, you think about people that just want to go for a really enjoyable fall fishing trip. I mean, uh, multi-species, it's beautiful. The, the, the migration's happening all around you while you're whacking walleyes or muskies or whatever you're fishing for. Now, this time of year, people go crappie fishing up on the islands, too, and catch monster black crappies. A lot, a lot going on up there this time of year. Yeah, and I know a lot of guys will go onto the Canadian side or whatever, but they asked us about that. I said, now nah, let's just stay, stay on the U.S. side. We don't need to mess around with going in, going anywhere too far or whatever. And we, you know, we caught plenty of fish, and uh, obviously shot uh, shot a bunch of ducks and got some pretty cool stuff on the camera that we'll show. That'll be uh, an episode of Prairie Sportsman 
uh, during the new season, which will start in January. So everybody watching, we're, we're playing. So if you're watching the, or listening to this on the radio, we're playing a few clips from the trip right now. If you go to YouTube, Sporting Journal Radio on YouTube, you can watch what we're talking about. And then we'll have the full show uh, available sometime between January and May on Prairie Sportsman. And that video you've shown is just beautiful with that sky and the water and those decoys. Just gorgeous. Yeah, that was the first morning, and it, the weather was could not have been better. It was just enough of a wind to funnel the ducks right where we wanted them to, but just made it real comfortable on the water. You know, it wasn't too way. We didn't. So there's splash guards that you can put up on the back, and they just sit up a couple inches higher behind you. And if you have waves coming over the back of the boat, they just get knocked down, and then you don't you don't get too wet. And uh, we didn't even have to have those up that first day. It was just perfect. I did put them up the second day just to try it, to see what it was like. Even the second day was a little windier, and we didn't. I don't know if we even really needed them, but it was a great time, and uh, we'll definitely do that again. But we are planning to come back up this winter to do some ice fishing up there, Joe. And and it's it's I'm not ready for hard water yet, but it's time to start thinking about it, isn't it? I tell you what, you know what? If you want to, especially if you have certain dates you want to hit. I mean, Lake of the Woods is. You know, well known for being such a good ice fishing destination. If you have certain dates you want to hit, get a hold of one of our resorts and uh, get those dates locked up. And uh, But I'll tell you what, they, uh, as you know, Brett, the resorts up there really do a nice job of whether it's maintaining the trail or the ice road, putting those uh, fish houses on good walleyes and saugers, and uh, just making your, your, your stay enjoyable. It's uh, really a fun, fun place to go ice fish, I'll tell you. I know it was hard to be on the rainy river. We did spend a couple of nights on the rainy before we went up to the angle one before and one after when we came back and it was hard not to fish when you're there at the rainy river or south end of lake of the woods it was hard not to do it but it just got us uh, kind of excited to get back up there and then we're gonna do our uh, tournament again on the rainy next spring so uh, people should should be planning for that but if they want to book a trip to lake of the woods and find out some more information about the lake the limits the regulations uh, the different resorts what should they do joe you know what? Everything you need is at our website, and that is lakeofthewoodsmn.com. 852 million acres of public land, 147 million private properties, all in the palm of your hand. The number one hunting GPS app just got better. With hundreds of custom map layers, 3D and topographic maps, you can easily scout on the road or at home before you go. And now you can get important weather details, CWD detection, and even know what crops have been planted where. Get the most trusted hunting GPS app ever made. Onyx. Know where you stand with Onyx. Looking for winter adventure? Might as well pick a place with over 1,000 lakes. Ottertail County, Minnesota is in the middle of everywhere, offers a simpler pace, and has something for everyone. Find your inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. All right, time to head up to Ottertail Lakes Country. And today we're going to talk to Cody Hill from Chill Guide Service about fishing and panfish paradise. Uh, Cody, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. So when did, how long did it take you to come up with the name Chill Guide Service? Or had you been looking at Sea Hill your whole life saying, oh, this is going to be a great uh, name? My parents owned uh, small businesses, so we had CH kind of the whole time growing up. So I thought it was a pretty cool name and it kind of fit me. And, and uh, it, it'd be perfect for ice fishing for sure chill guide service that's where my heart and soul is yeah you you prefer ice fishing uh, over open water i do actually i do actually all right well let's talk we'll talk about what's happening right now the transition uh you're just wrapping up the open water guiding season right yep this coming weekend is going to be my last weekend then the boat's going to get put away for the winter and then the eskimo gear is going to be broken out for getting out onto the ice here hopefully black friday How's, uh, let's, well, let's just wait on the hard water just a little bit. Let's not get crazy. <laughs> I'm not quite ready for it yet. Uh, what, what, how's fishing been lately? Fishing's been good. Fishing's been really good. Uh, we, they're majorly schooled up. Uh, I see your fo- posting pictures from this past weekend. They, they are schooled up 30, 40, 50 in a school. And if you, it's just a matter of finding that right fish and they just inhale the lures. Um, I fished Friday solo scouting for my trip on Saturday. 
and I bet you I had 40 smallmouth in two, two and a half hours oh, of pre-fishing. Wow. I, I'd turn on the trolling motor, my line would get tight, and you'd feel the bite, and bang, there was your fish. Are they uh, getting a little chunky? Very chunky, very chunky. They are putting on the feed bags. A uh, couple of, we have not broken 20 inches, but one trip out, I had uh, four that were 19 and three quarters. Oh, wow. So a lot of thick, thick fish. And they, my northern there, that one was a surprise. I thought that was a walleye, actually. <laughs> it, it did not come off a bottom till it was straight below the boat. Oh, wow. And that one maxed out our bump board. Oh, nice. Yep. How are you fishing for these guys? Um, I've been using live bait, uh, Lindy rigging, very simple Lindy rig. Uh, I find it's easier. I have better luck if I use just a plain Lindy rig than any beads or blades or anything like that. Hmm. And tipping it with a big minnow, ideally, when I always tell the bait man that when I grab my minnow, I want each side, the tail to the head, and that's as long as I want that minnow. Hmm. I, I don't want it any longer. I want it that size. Why is that? So that three, three. I, the smaller ones just don't seem to get the bites, hmm. and the big ones, strictly the big fish. Big fish or small pike. Ooh, that's a good one. So. Jeez. So, yeah, that that was actually doubles. He had that one on, and uh, another lady had a smallie on at the same exact time, and I actually netted them at the same time because we didn't have a spare net ready. <laughs> That's great. That was the doubles. That was the doubles. When they look kind of so, square, you know, they're they're getting kind of big. What? Uh, how oh, big, yeah. How big was that one, those two fish, you think? Uh, Do you remember? Ashley's, I think, was like 19 and a quarter, 19 and a half, and I think his was right there also. And that's a smallmouth and a largemouth, right? So the smallmouth yes. was 19 and three quarter, and the, the largemouth yep. was the yep. largemouth almost looks bigger. It it had a it had the same length. I was really shocked. Hmm. We kind of put Caleb a little bit closer to oh, the camera. <laughs> sure. All right. It's all about making memories, and you couldn't wipe that smile off his face, and that's all that's important. I bet that's nice fish. So, do you target uh, bass a lot, or you uh, do a lot of panfish? <sighs> Jason? I do a lot of panfish, mainly everybody's got their advantages and disadvantage. And I'm a, I, I love my panfish, my bluegills, my crappies. Uh, this time of the year, the crappies are kind of going deep water. And I've had a lot of interest for walleyes and the smallmouth are right there with them. So it's kind of hard to turn down catching 30, 40 smallies in a day and coming home with the couple walleyes for the fry pan so because yeah. we are as, catch and release obviously but as long as you can still catch the walleyes that's the only thing that drives me crazy about smallmouth when they are together like that is <laughs> i'm trying to catch a couple walleyes and i keep catching smallmouth they're fine i don't eat fish that often so mm. catching walleyes i'd rather catch smallmouth because of the fight sure but it's everybody loves their own uh <laughs> liberty's nice walleye yeah, that was her man. 16th birthday, and we took her out and taught her how to Lindy rig. Oh, that's and, uh, cool. About 30 seconds into it, she's like, "I got a bite." And I looked at her line, and it was flying out the end of the rod. I'm like, <laughs> "Okay, give her some more line because you can see how windy it is in the background." Oh yeah. And yeah, yeah the, I think that one was 24 inches. Ah, so. that's cool. That's awesome. I couldn't get the smile off her face either. So you're going to transition to hard water then, uh, obviously early on, are you going to be just, um, uh, like a portables and. Yep. I walk? strictly do portables. I do not have any ice castles. Okay. There's a few guides in the area that do the ice castles and I just don't have the time space financials for that. Sure. So I, I run small groups. Um, I'd rather focus on, uh, customer service than just being a number. Yeah. Absolutely. So I try not to get bigger than uh, six people. Okay. Uh, three people per fish house. I like to have room in the fish house. I don't like to be on top of each other. I like personal space. <laughs> yeah, me too. Do you uh, do you target different uh, one like panfish in the winter, or will you go during around? the winter? I'm mainly panfish. Okay. I'll do bluegills, crappies. I got a couple lakes for some northerns. Um. 
uh, late ice, like you're showing right there. Uh, I do tulabi trips in the morning, and then mid-morning we'll switch spots and change uh, practices and chase uh, crappies and bluegills in the afternoon. How long have you been chasing tulabies? Oh, I like that answer. Ten plus years. Oh, cool. Because I feel like it's it's becoming more and more popular to to fish for like tulabies or whitefish, and and I see more guide services are starting to offer trips for them because man, they put up a heck of a fight. Oh yeah, especially on the light gear, and uh, we had a trip late ice that I think we ended up keeping six, and four of them were actually longer than the state record. Oh, really? <laughs> wow. Yeah, but, a couple of them, I think, think were over an inch longer than a state record. No kidding. But when we took the tape measure to the girth, we were we were majorly skinny. Oh, so hmm. interesting. So when you hook into a three-and-a-half-pound, four-pound tulabi with four-pound test and a tuned-up bull whip, she, she puts on a battle. Yeah, for sure. And they're, so, good, to, they're good to eat. Uh, yep. I think people are surprised when they find that out that they're they're pretty good fish to fun fun fish to catch and a fun fish to eat at the same time. And uh, so, what if you're you're in Ottertail County mostly? How do people reach yep. you up there? Uh, easiest way is uh, find me on Facebook, Chill Guide Service, and uh, otherwise you can check out uh, ChillGuideService.com is my website. Both have phone numbers. You can call, text message, send me a message through Facebook. Uh, that's Everybody uses Facebook nowadays. Yeah, that's sure. the best way to get a hold of me. All right. Chill Guide Service, Cody Hill. Thanks for the time today uh, on the show. Hey, thank you for having me. Sporting Journal Radio is a division of Macaba LLC. If you've got a question, comment, or story idea for us, send us an email. Go to sportingjournalradio.com. While you're there, you can learn how to advertise on the show and visit our store for hats, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more. Go to sportingjournalradio.com.